I am a little nervous. Um, <laughs> a little nervous because I, I feel that as we wrapped up uh, our, our faith, increase our faith series, uh, where, where do we go next is always a, as, a, as a challenge for me. And I just feel we need to start talking about the Holy Spirit um, to have a, an in-depth understanding of, of the Holy Spirit, how he works, what did he come to do, what does he do, and how does he want to move among us? So I don't, I, and the reason I'm saying I'm, I'm a little nervous is to try to understand the workings or to try to describe and teach on the workings of the Holy Spirit is sort of, sometimes feels like a fool's errand because the Holy Spirit works in ways we cannot see, <laughs> we cannot understand. We, we try to intellectualize and understand the things of the Spirit. But as an old pastor used to uh, say all the time to me, uh, you know, it's, it, it's more caught than taught. Um, you, you learn through experience. And we can, we can definitely go to the Word of God that gives us explanation of how the Spirit of God works or helps us to understand how the Spirit of God works. But even within that and within that framework there's so much variety and detail of ways that he works with us individually that doesn't count uh, contradict scripture at all but it's very difficult sometimes to wrap our heads around it so new believers that come into jesus um and and they start understand trying to understand the workings of the holy spirit uh and and you know they're looking for discipleship and teaching you know we can give them some guardrails but at the end of the day you have to experience him right and uh and so i don't know how long we'll we'll go on this i it might be maybe maybe it's just today i don't know we'll see uh it might be a couple weeks but we'll see how how it goes but i really feel i really feel that we need to to dig deeper into this third person of this trinity or one of the three and third person of the trinity of of god which is you know god the father god the son and god the holy spirit right um and so we want to want to just dive into the deep end of the pool here right we're just going to jump in and we'll see exactly what the lord does as he, as he begins to reveal these things but um what i first and we'll get into some maybe more of those intricacies and i want to we're going to dive deeper into different parts but i want to first today tackle this thing um that we call the baptism of the of the holy spirit the baptism of the spirit uh, because we'll, we'll get deeper into the different things of the holy spirit and how he works and stuff but I kind of want to get move this out of the way a little bit because there's so much contention and disagreement in the church today about what is this thing of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, so the whole thing, now we see the Holy Spirit working throughout all of the Old Testament too. He's the Spirit of God would come on to the prophets and move the prophets and, and often uh, the priests, the uh kings would receive the spirit um, but you see different judges that came at different times the spirit of god would move upon them but what you see in the whole in in the old testament is where the spirit of god would selectively come on to individuals for certain things in the new testament we know that the whole holy spirit is available for us all uh, in fact having the holy spirit is a requirement to belong to jesus and that's something that we'll uh, we'll look at a scripture that mentions that um so the spirit of god has moved same holy spirit from the old testament is the same holy spirit of the new but he moves differently among the, within the church and operates differently and so um he he's he's first mentioned 
um, not first mentioned, but specifically about this, the idea of the Holy Spirit being given um, and this concept of being baptized of the Spirit was is mentioned to us in, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. Now, I'm going to warn you, I'm, I've got a lot of scriptures to go over today, so if you want to keep up and flip there really fast, go ahead and try. Uh, or if you just want to write them down or you want to uh, come back and refer to them later, um, uh, but I'm going to be throwing a lot at you, so I'm just going to, I'm not going to give you a lot of time to turn to, turn in your Bibles here, because I have them all written out in front of me here, but but we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, um, when John the Baptist came on the scene to prepare the way for Jesus' coming, and he preached uh, a message of repent, repentance, uh, to repent from your sins, and I've, I've mentioned this and touched, talked about this many times in the past, that uh, all these Jews came out, multitudes came out to be baptized. Now, baptism in Jewish tradition did exist at the time, but it existed for someone who wanted to become a Jew, not for one who was a Jew, okay? For, uh, so if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they would be baptized, that was a tradition. So for a Jew, though, to be baptized especially in a baptism of, of repentance like this, it was to say, I'm as far away from God as a Gentile. Okay, so this was no insignificant thing that John the Baptist established. It was to get the hearts right of the people. The people, it was for the people to, to, to realize that the Messiah was on his way. Make your paths straight. Get your hearts right. No, just because you are a descendant, a blood descendant of Abraham does not make you okay with God. You must repent. You're far away from God. The Messiah's coming, get ready. That's what John the Baptist came to do. And as he was baptized, and he was a powerful, powerful prophet. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus himself said, no one greater has come. And he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, right? The Jews are still looking for Elijah to come first. Well, he already came. He actually already came through. It wasn't the, they're looking for the physical Elijah, but it was the spirit of Elijah was what was prophesied. And he came in the form of John the Baptist. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And, there, and, the, and Jesus says there was none greater than John the Baptist. Um, and he came and he said this in Matthew chapter three, verse 11. He goes, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not even worthy to remove his sandals. He himself, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Powerful statement. Powerful statement. What he was talking about was there was this person who was coming. I'm coming to let you know that you need to repent and you're because you're not right with God. And there's one, though, that is coming after me that is more powerful. And they would have understood the power of this man. I mean, for 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 multitudes, and and there's probably different scholars could, you know, estimate different numbers of people that would have come out to go out into the, the wilderness and to be baptized, coming out in multitudes. And he was ruffling all of the Pharisees' feathers, right? All of the Sadducees and the scribes. And they came out. I mean, this guy was known and he had a huge following, huge following. People understood and they believed he was a prophet and he was. And, but he says, there's one coming more powerful than I. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is the first thing that we hear about from John the Baptist speaking of Jesus coming, which the cool thing about is they're like second cousins, <laughs> right? Or first cousins. Were they first cousins? I guess they were first cousins. But they were cousins. And um, I guess that's what was first cousins. So... I would love to have like seen like the family dinners, right? <laughs> the family gatherings. I got Jesus and John the Baptist, right? And we know it's interesting too. You're talking about the Holy Spirit moving uh, on people selectively. The Bible says that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit where? When? In the womb. He was still being formed in his mother's womb. And the Holy Spirit 
came over him at that time. I mean, this is incredible. You think about this. Let's not overlook the activity of the Holy Spirit all through Scripture. You know, I, I would say that, that um, many, many, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, many traditions and denominations make too much of the Spirit, and I'm, I want to qualify that statement, and some make too little. Okay? Meaning the emphasis and the understanding of how He works, how God establishes His plan through the Holy Spirit and how He interacts with us. Right? He is a... He is one we cannot ignore in the Holy Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they all have different roles. Okay? So we want to understand a little bit of that. But, but, so John was doing the baptizing of this water for repentance, but he says Jesus himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. Okay, so... So let's talk about this thing called baptism of the Spirit. What is this thing? You know, and so many people have, have argued and debated on this. And I've got to be very honest with you. I have struggled with this concept of the baptism of the Spirit. Now, let me make myself very clear. I believe in all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you can count, you know, there's different numbers, but there's at least... 22, 23 recorded gifts of the Spirit, all right? Empowerments of the Spirit in Scripture in different locations. And they all have different purposes and there's different class and groupings of them, but there's at least 22, 23 of them, depending on what commentary you talk to or whatever. I believe in every single one of them. I believe in their operation. I believe that they're necessary for the effectiveness of the body of Christ in the church today. The question is, when do you get them? And we're not gonna get, this is not a teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, by the way. But when do you get them? And when we, and there's a subclassification of the gifts of the Spirit that are talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, where uh, uh, Paul was, was uh, referring to, to them. Um, they're often referred as, there's nine of them, offer, often referred as the grace gifts. The, the charisma gifts, because the Greek word for grace is charisma, char, charisma. All right, so that's where the, we get the word charismatic, because the charismatic church focuses specifically on those nine, which is where we're, we hear about prophecy and miracles and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and tongue, uh, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, healings, gifts of healings, and so forth. Okay, so all of those have been associated with when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the traditional teaching. Okay. But I'm not gonna deal with those. I'm not gonna deal with the gifts. Right? I'm gonna deal, I wanna deal with this concept of the baptism of the Spirit, because I've struggled with this, and I have vacillated on this topic for years, and I've been studying the scripture for years. When do you get the baptism of the Spirit? What is it? When is it? All that stuff. Lori knows. My wife, Lori, knows this. I've, I've struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. I've gone this way and I've gone this way. Because I'm one that wants to understand. Some people are out there like, who cares, right? However happens, happens. Just like, don't get wigged out about it, right? I'm not that way. I'm the one that has to truly understand, and it, which is a blessing and a curse at the same time, okay? Um, and I've got to tell you that even in this, and as I'm, as I'm talk, teaching on this now, even in this, I still have to say, well, certain cases this, certain cases that, however God wants to do it, right? Um, but I'm cl much closer to understanding as, than what I have before. So what I was struggling with this is this idea of when you receive the Holy Spirit. There's this receiving of the Holy Spirit, and then there's this phrase that we call being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, I struggle, have always struggled, is that the same thing? Are we talking about the same thing? Or are we talking about two different things? Has anybody, am I alone in that? Anybody struggled with this one, right, in Scripture? All right, so a couple questions that, that I have. So are you baptizing the Spirit at salvation, or is it a subsequent experience? Is it as a, a spirit experience that happens after the fact? Okay. 
you know, do you get the spirit when you're saved and then get him again? Like, how does that work, right? I mean, I mean, even Jesus, like, it kind of makes sense. I mean, even Jesus, I mean, he was born by what? He was immaculate, immaculate conception, is there, right? It's, he was born and conceived by what? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and conceived Jesus, right? So he was born, very physically, of the Spirit. Um, but then he also received the Spirit too, right? Remember when he was baptized? John the Baptist baptized them. And the whole heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came down in the, the form of a dove and descended upon him. And that became the, the beginning of his ministry. And like, yikes, what is this? You know? But, you know, could, could we say that Jesus didn't have the Spirit before he was baptized and the Spirit came on him? Of course we would never say that. Okay? Hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Right, let's peel it away a little bit. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to get you there to anything better of an understanding, but I want to pull out some things to consider about how the Holy Spirit begins in our lives and, and, and begins to work and do things in our lives. All right. So first, we have got to come to the understanding and the agreement. And I think everybody in this room would absolutely agree with the statement that you must have the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that clearly from Scripture. Here's a couple of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It says this, Now, it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He, Jesus, has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment, okay? Remember, John the Baptist said, he will baptize you in the spirit. And here Paul is saying, he has given us, right? Jesus has given us the spirit. Romans 9, 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, capital S, in the spirit, not little s, capital S. We're talking about the Holy Spirit here. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, right? If anyone does not have the spirit, it can't be more plain than this. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's a requirement. You cannot be in Christ if you do not have the Holy Spirit within you, in you, because that's exactly just what he says here. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. He says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Okay? We must have the Spirit of God in us to be in Christ. Yes, uh, 316. Actually, if you ever want to do a really interesting Bible study, study all the 316s of the New Testament. It's pretty interesting. So we understand and we know that the Spirit of God must be in us, right? When does that happen? At regeneration, at, at salvation, okay? Now, that's a teaching unto itself. I'll only comment this way and say, just because you said a sinner's prayer does not necessarily mean you're saved. Just because you raised your hand when the evangelist said, Any, you know, anybody want to receive Jesus, and you raise your hand. I see that hand over there. I see another hand over there, right? Um, does not necessarily mean, it could, but it does not necessarily mean that you've received Jesus and that you've received the Holy Spirit. When you have gotten to the point, see, listen, no person can ever tell you you're saved. No person can ever tell you. If, the, if, you, if you've prayed a sinner's prayer and said, congratulations, you're now saved. If they've told you you're saved because you said the prayer, they're speaking of something internal that they can't see and they're assuming it. What needs to happen is you need to have a witness of the Spirit. I like how Paris Reed had said this. Uh, Paris Reed has, uh, he's, you know, he's passed on years and years ago, but he's my favorite teacher of all time. He said this one time. He goes, I don't tell people when they're saved. I tell them 
you let me know when the Holy Spirit says that you're saved. When you receive the witness of the Spirit. What is that witness of the Spirit? It's that knowing. It's you know because you know because you know. Right? It often happens in a moment. It sometimes with, with people, it feels like there's an awakening and then a little bit of wondering, and then there's another, and then there's all of a sudden there's an assurance. I know that God is real, right? And it comes to that point. There's a witness of the spirit that happens in, in that moment. Now, when and how all of that happens? Can I tell you when that happens and how it's gonna happen to you? No, certainly of course not, right? We have oversimplified salvation in the spirit, right? And the things of the spirit. We, we've simplified it down to a method. You can go through all of the foundations classes. You can go through all of the discipleship training classes. You can do all of that and say, yes, I want to be confirmed in the church. I want to be, dis- I want to be baptized in the church. You can do through all of that. But if you, and, and, and at the end of that, I say, hey, look, I'm saved. If you have never received a witness of the Spirit, if you have never received insight from God that He is with you, you have to question, do I really know Him? Because we, ha- we forget the fact that a relationship with God is that very thing, a relationship. It's somewhere where there's communication and presence, right? Two things you need in, in, in a relationship. You need presence, meaning you've got to be in, at least in the same room, or have presence with one another with how, you know, through telephone or emailing, that's presence, right? There's some sort of presence there. And you need words exchanged back and forth. You have to have both or you don't have relationship. And the more presence you have and the more words you have, the better and stronger the relationship, typically, okay? Our relationship with God is no different. You need presence, you need the Holy Spirit in you, and you need communication. The communication confirms the presence. You can be in the same room with somebody and not know them. But the moment you begin to speak to each other, you have presence and communication. Now you have relationship. Now it's time to grow that relationship, isn't it? Which requires what? Presence and communication. More and more of it. As much as you can get of it, in fact. If you have said a bunch of words and did went through the motions but have not had presence and relationship, you, which we often too is referred to the witness of the Spirit, if you've not had the presence and the communication, you may not actually have the Holy Spirit. He'll show himself to you. He'll, he'll speak to you in a way. He will do things that let you know. The Holy, Holy Spirit does not want to remain anonymous in your life. He doesn't want to remain unknown in your life. The devil does. If you, many, the, the, the major tactic of, de, of demonic work in our lives, right? One of his major strategies is for you not to know that he's there, that he's working. The worst enemy you can ever have is the one that you don't know is there. You, you don't know is working against you. The Holy Spirit does not work like that. He wants to be known. The problem is, are we, do we want to know him? Do we take the time to know him and to listen to his voice, to conform our, ourselves to his teaching that has come to us in the word of God, inspired by another 316, by the way. All scripture is God is inspired by the spirit, right? It's given by the spirit and acceptable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, right? That is um, the working of the Spirit. He wants to be known. You have to have a witness. There's got to be something in there. So at the point of salvation, regeneration of your spirit, right? A making new of your spirit. You have three parts to you. There's body, there's mind, will, and emotions we call the soul, and then there's your spirit. Your spirit is what's regenerated at salvation. Your soul, your mind, body, or excuse me, your mind, will, and emotions is being saved. It's coming under the subjection of Christ, or it's 
uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing is a continuous process, right? That you, we're being, so we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's our that where there's a, it's a continuous sanctification process that happens in our mind. Your body, I'm sorry, it's hopelessly lost, right? It will die and it will be done away with, and you'll be given a new one. Okay, so we crucify the flesh, we renew the mind, and we listen to our spirit because your spirit is regenerated and it longs for the things of the spirit. We're born upside down. Quite literally, right? A proper birth, the baby comes what way? Head first. Head first right? We're born upside down. Well, you know what? In the, in the spirit, we're born upside down. We're born and we give to our flesh first. When a baby comes out, it wants nothing but one thing. It wants to eat. A couple things. It wants to sleep. It wants to poop. That's all it wants to do. Obviously, it wants comfort in those things. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. You get it. But the baby wants simple things. And they all have to do with the flesh. Right? In time, as they grow, then there's more that develops and, and, and so forth. And there's more the complexities of the needs go on and whatever. But we're born with our flesh in control. Right? Then we have our mind, mind, will, and emotions, which if we don't come to Christ, if there's nothing that like changes the process, your mind, will, and emotions will always conform to what your flesh wants. Okay? Your flesh always, always, always will take control if your mind, will, and emotions will allow it. I don't feel like working. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm tired. I'm just going to sleep here. Even though I have all these responsibilities and things I should be doing, right? Oh, I really know I shouldn't pick up that piece of food, at that, that, you know, that piece of cake, right? I, I know I really shouldn't, but my body really wants it, right? I mean, we, do the, we deal with this all the time. The body wants what it wants. Sexual sins and all, the, all these things, right? It wants what it wants. Mind, will, and emotion decides whether it gives into it or not, right? So we're controlled by first our flesh, then our mind, will, and emotions, our soul, and then our spirit is. It's, it has no power. It's dead. The Bible says that we are dead. We're dead in Christ until we come to him. When we get saved, though, there's an instant regeneration. Our spirit comes to life. Our spirit, right? Now, we have a spirit. I'm not saying, but it's, it is... It's lost. We are immediately saved. Our spirit is immediately saved. But the problem is, we get saved. Do you ever wonder why when you, when you get saved, you still struggle with stuff? <laughs> old thoughts, old things, right? Your body still wants, to, wants what it wants. But then you have to begin to die to yourself, right? Begin to learn how to submit your mind, will, and emotions how to submit your body. You begin to do things like fasting. Fasting will kill the flesh faster than anything else. Right? You deny it food and you only give it water, I promise you, you will have a heightened sense of how powerful your body really is, your flesh really is. Right? And when, but when you get that right, now your mind, will, and emotions is freed up so that it can begin to listen to the things of the Spirit and not being driven by the flesh all the time. That's why fasting is so powerful. Because it taps you into the things of spirit. And Christians aren't the only ones that fast. Almost all religions fast. It, it has the ability, the power, to tap into the things of the spirit. The key is when you fast, you fast and meditate on the things of God. And a regenerated spirit draws you closer to God. Right? You fast, you go through fasting from a, for spirit, not for dieting or physical reasons, but you actually do it for spiritual reasons and you're not saved and you have an unregenerate spirit. You're going to open up all kinds of demonic into your life. Right? You have to be careful about those things. But we fast, so it brings the, spirit, the, the, the body under subjection. I don't know why I'm going on all this. I was not planning to do this, but I feel like it's necessary to understand how the spirit works. It's our spirit that connects with the things of the spirit. We receive into us, into our spirit, his spirit. And all of that's houses. So when you think about spirit, soul, and body, it's been said like this, I think it's pretty accurate. You are a spirit. You have a mind 
will and emotions, our soul, you live in a body. I'll say that again. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Okay? So when Holy Spirit comes, he comes and he regenerates us and he starts that relationship. They're spiritually discerned. The things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. Not mind, soul discerned and not body discerned. They're spiritually discerned. That's why the things, when you talk about the things of the Holy Spirit and try to wrap, you know, this is how Holy Spirit works. I mean, that's, that's harder than trying to describe trigonometry to somebody that doesn't understand general math, right? It's just, I mean, he, and he, he, even if you think you have it all, your head wrapped around it, he'll just, he'll just blow your mind some, some other way. The Spirit of God works in such powerful ways that we can't fully understand. And that's okay. That's why he's God and we're not. We simply need to focus on what? The relationship, presence and communication. To be in the presence of God. Know that he's in you. Know that he's, he's, he's working within you. Understand, listen for his voice, speak to him, right? That's we start that, regeneration. Spirit of God comes, and quite physically, this is hard for us to understand, but according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16, he comes and he lives in you, and you become a temple. Your body, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, who can understand these things? I can't. But I still want to try to understand. It is the reality. And when you, when you walk in Christ, you begin to see. You begin to understand. When you have the Spirit of God working within you, you begin to understand it. Again, it's more caught than taught, right? I can't teach you to have a relationship with my wife, Laura. You can, you can only do that yourself. I can tell you what she's like. I can tell you what you know, her likes or dislikes. I can tell her little bits about her personality, but until you know her personally, you don't really know her. It's the way it is with God. It's the way it is with the Spirit of God. You don't really know. But we'll try to unpack it, won't we? We'll try to untangle some of this. So let's talk about this a little bit about this, uh, getting back to the baptism of the Spirit. What is this thing? Right? Well, there's, there's two, John Piper does a really good job. He's got a really good teaching on this. When you use the, 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 the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, we need some context. Because there's two really good scriptures that, we, that everybody points to when we talk about the baptism of the Spirit. One of them um, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 and 13. And the other one we're going to look at is in uh, Luke. No, the other one we're going to look at is going to be Acts chapter 1. So uh, verse 4 through 8. The first one, let's, let's first look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. It says, for this is what Paul was saying about the Spirit. For just as, as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also with Christ. For we were all baptized in, uh, by one spirit. I'm going to say it again, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. He's talking about a baptism of the Spirit, right? But then we have Acts 1, verse 4 to 8, that Jesus says, actually, let me just read 4 and 5 for now. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. All right, so, so this, is, this is where this becomes a problem. Because we know that we're given the Holy Spirit, and, and Paul's talking about 
this concept of being baptized in the Spirit. But what he's referring to is the is a baptism that comes into when you were baptized. When he the aspect of baptism, I should say it this way: the aspect of baptism in the Spirit is when you're brought into Christ and into the church. Okay, we're baptized into the body of Christ, meaning we become fully a part of it. Okay, this is the moment in time when we receive salvation. When we receive salvation, receive that witness of the Spirit, He comes and takes up res residence within you. You are, as Paul's talking about here, baptized into Christ, into His body. Remember, if you don't have the Spirit of Jesus, you don't belong to Him, right? And He says, We all, if in fact you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's within you, okay? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the body of Christ, right? Now, it also says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And this scripture right here had me chasing my tail for years. Because I'm like, how in the world do you have a water baptism, a baptism into the body of Christ, and a baptism in the Spirit? And he just says there's only one baptism. How do you do that? How do you reconcile that? It really kind of blows up the whole second experience, sec, sec, second experience in the Holy Spirit that so many people talk about it being baptized in the Spirit. Wait a minute. One baptism? What are we talking about here? Okay. So, so we have, but we, we can gather from what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 said is that there is a, to be baptized in the Spirit, the first aspect of that is that you are baptized into the body of Christ, right? And we become the body of the Holy Communion, right? The church, and we're all, we're all caught up with him. And we now are his hands and feet and voice and everything here on, on earth today, right? Uh, and all the things that Jesus did when he ministered, he said, he said, you guys will do exactly the same thing. You are my hands and feet, okay? So we have that, great. But then we go back to Acts chapter one, where Jesus says, uh, not many days, uh, don't, you know, don't leave, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the, spirit, for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about from John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit a few days from now. Verse six, so when they had come to him, they asked, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the periods that my father has sent in his own authority. So he basically like blew off their question. And then he goes back to this whole thing about the baptism of the Spirit. He goes back to that in verse eight, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Power. That's a little different, doesn't it? Isn't it? It's, he, he, he talks about this power that comes with the baptism of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 24, 48, sorry, I told you I was gonna go fast. Luke 24, 48 and 49, it says, you are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are, are empowered from on high. So he's talking about the same thing, right? It's the same, same context here. We're talking about hang out in Jerusalem until I send to you what I promised I was going to send to you, which is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the promise. He's known by many names, right? And he says, it will give you, he will give you, the person of the Holy Spirit, he will give you power. Power to do what though? Does anybody notice in these two scriptures that we talked about? There's another word that keeps coming up. Witness. You will be my witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is the demonstration and the witness, 
right? It is for us to be empowered with the tools that we need to be the witness of Christ. So if we think about this, if we can break these sets of scriptures down into two things, there's a context of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is all about us. About us receiving the witness of the Spirit and being us being baptized in the body of Christ. Now we have become the body, right? We're integrated. It's what he does for us, in us, right? He regenerates us. He changes us. And with that comes conviction of sin and all of these types of things and the ways the Holy Spirit works within us. He begins to speak with us. And, and, and uh, we start getting our, our lives conformed in, into him, um, our, our, our minds conformed and all of those things conformed into to his likeness and things of the, of the kingdom and, and living in righteousness and denying the flesh. And there's all those things. But then... Jesus talks about this baptism where they're going out. And going out to be his witnesses, you need what? Power. External power. Okay? Now, I'm, I, I know, I know that this is an oversimplification, oversimplification of the of, to, to explain the spirit. I'm going to keep saying that. I don't want you to like write a doctrine on this stuff, right? I'm just trying to explain it in a way that might be a little, we need to maybe see a little bit. Okay, so you've got this baptism of the spirit to unite us to Jesus and his church. And you have the baptism of the spirit that gives us power to be his witnesses. All right. So are you baptized in the spirit at salvation or in a subsequent experience? That was the question I asked earlier. And the answer is both. Both. It's two sides of the same coin. Now check this out. Now if that wasn't, you know, if all those scriptures weren't confusing enough about this, this thing of the baptism of the Spirit, right? Check out these two stories. One of them just came up in a reading plan just yesterday, I think. Acts 8, verse 4 to 19. I'm going to rip through this really fast. So sorry, I'm going to read quick here for the sake of time. Acts 8, 14 through 19. So those who were scattered went on in their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. Right? A witness. He was providing the witness of Christ. And they, it was accompanied with what? Signs and wonders. It was empowered, right? It was... You know, signs that he was performing for unclean, uh, unclean spirits, um, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip comes down there, casting out demons, right? You know, healing people, signs and wonders. The power of God is real. The gospel of Jesus Christ is real. Right? A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him for, for the least of them uh, to the greatest. They said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him uh, because he amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Okay? That's where we're revolting. In. That's, in baptism, water baptism is still a critical component to our, to our salvation experience, right? So he was baptizing. It's so important that we baptize. As a part of that, many of them were baptizing. Even Simon himself, the sorcerer, believed and after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the great signs and miracles that were being performed, right? Wow, so cool, amazing witness. Even sorcerers who had their own set of miracles 
paled in comparison to what this, this guy Philip was doing. Obviously, this is a greater God. This is a better God, right? This is the real God to, to serve. To serve. So even, even, even uh, uh, Simon gets baptized. Verse 14, now here's the rub. Here's the, here's the one. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. Wait a minute. All these people got saved and baptized. Wait a minute. Verse 16, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's, a, it's actually in parentheses. So it's like kind of like, like Luke who wrote Acts, like called that out as like a clarification that I, you need to know this. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John laid their hands on them, they received the Spirit, Holy Spirit, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered him money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. A little bit of pride left in there. The old sorcerer wasn't completely repentant, was he? Mm. Even though he was baptized. So, isn't this interesting? Now we're seeing Philip who was doing, I mean, Philip was moving in the power, authority of the Holy Spirit. And yet, and, and the people received the Spirit, otherwise they wouldn't have been saved. So why was there a second thing? And then the, the apostles heard about this and said, well, we're going to travel down there because they hadn't, and, uh, they hadn't yet received the Spirit, and I'm going to pray for them. Now, we can peel that all apart, and there's a lot of commentating, commentators that have all these different things, and I have my views on it, but I want to miss the point is that there was a salvation, and then there was something else, right? That through the laying on of hands, they received. Now, let's follow another one, another interesting example, Acts 19, 1 through 6. This one happened much later through Paul after he was on one of his missionary journeys. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's an interesting question. First thing he asked him, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When he, and he says, what did he, remember, it says he found some what? Disciples. We're talking about believers here, right? Believers in Jesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? So that's what Philip did. Baptized the people in the name of the Lord Jesus. But he stopped there. Either the Holy Spirit instructed him not to or something. Paul didn't stop there. He said that in verse 6, and it says, And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Immediately there was a sign and wonder that they performed. Okay? So we see in these two examples that there's like these two things that happened. The one, as we know, you got to have the Holy Spirit to be saved. We know that. So the Holy Spirit is within you. So how does this work that there's the second thing that comes on you when they say receiving? Because in, in the Acts uh, 8 instance with the Samaritans, 
it says that uh, they had uh, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit because he hasn't come down on them, right? So there's this internal work and this external work. There's a spirit of, wor of uh, working within you and then there's a spirit coming on you. How do you explain that, honestly, right? Again, it's more caught than taught, isn't it? It certainly is. But there's two different things, but one baptism. Here's the thing. We have to stop thinking about the baptism of the Spirit as a second thing. We're all baptized in the Spirit at salvation. But there's a... If we want to move in the power to be God's witnesses, we need the Spirit of God to come on us. Now, even if you read the New Testament... You're going to see over and over after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Now, let's just think about this for a second. The disciples, were, any, were all the disciples less, as we know, um, um, uh, I said a, a brain cramp. Judas, thank you. I can't believe I forgot Judas' name. We would all agree that they were saved. They were all disciples of Jesus Christ, Right? And in fact, Jesus breathed on them to receive the Spirit at one point, okay? But yet, even they had to wait to receive the Spirit a second time. There was this pouring out. Why? To be witnesses. He says, I don't want you to go out and start your ministry until you are endued with power. To do it there has to be something else that comes on you you've received the spirit and you're my disciples right and they were clean remember when he washed their feet and he got to Peter he says oh you can't wash me and he says unless I wash you you wash your feet I'll no part of me I'll wash all of me he goes no 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 you're clean because of the Word of God you're clean but you I just need to wash your feet so he was declaring their cleanness. He was declaring that, right, in that, in that mo moment. He says, you're all clean except for one of you, which is, right, which was Judas. But yet they, even though they were clean, even though he breathed on them, they received the spirit, and they even, at least temporarily, went out and they were casting out devils and healing the sick, right, when Jesus gave them the power to do so. But there needed to be, they were doing that in Jesus' name, but they needed now the Holy Spirit to come upon them to be the witnesses, right? To be Jesus' witnesses, to be his hands and feet. He's now ascended into heaven. On Pentecost, Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends on them with a mighty rushing wind, sound of a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire come upon them. They stumble out, they start preaching, they're speaking in other languages that they'd never learned. All of these things, prophesying, all this stuff's happened. 3,000 people get saved that day. They're now the witnesses. It was accompanied by signs and wonders. See, there has to be that. So many people, so many people, I believe, just like the, the disciples that Paul found in Ephesus, they don't move in the things and the power of the Holy Spirit because of ignorance. They don't even, these people didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. They had not been properly instructed. Good hearts, disciples following after, knowing the things of Christ, but they didn't really fully understand. I believe in the church today, when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we can all agree that we need to be regenerated by the Spirit. We all have the Spirit. We're all the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of stop there. Most of the church just sort of stops there. In fact, some people, some, some groups, uh, teach cessationism, which says that that whole second outpouring of the Spirit with signs and wonders and the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles, which contradicts Scripture endlessly. It's, a, it's bad, bad, bad teaching, bad theology. It's bad. Uh, I've seen incredible Bible teachers, incredible Bible teachers, when they get to that particular topic, completely fall off the wagon. And they, they throw away a good Bible interpretation 
that they use everywhere else except for that one. Why? Because they, they don't, they've been taught it, number one. Number two, they don't understand that working and that power of the Holy Spirit. And probably in addition to that, they've seen a lot of charismatics abuse, abuse the gifts of the Spirit and manipulate things of the Spirit. And I would say also introduce very demonic things into and put on God and say, well, that's the Spirit of God when it's demonic and a lot of craziness and people just avoid it, right? So they either come against it entirely as the second power that comes on you, right? Or they just sort of ignore it and just say, and they don't really, maybe because they just don't understand it and they just kind of, you know. But so how do we boil this all down? Where do I come to in this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I believe you're baptized in the Holy Spirit when you are saved. I believe that. I believe that. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But I need. But I also believe that the Spirit of God has to come on you to be an effective witness. The disciples, even after the Holy Spirit, all right, so here they were saved, right? Here then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. But how many times, notice in scripture as you read through the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, the disciples, it says, and he spoke full of the Spirit. Just look up full of the Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It'll talk to them all about these disciples that when they did it, when they spoke out and they did something bold, it says full of the Holy Spirit. Because in those moments in time, the Spirit of God comes on you to be effective witnesses. And we have, we have got to have a continuous infilling of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody here in this room have enough of the Holy Spirit in their life? No, of course not. We want more. Now, we know we have access to it. We say, well, are we full? When you come into Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the full access and the resources of heaven available to you. Right? And we desire, what we lack, though, is the desire for more of utilization of that power. Okay? The baptism of the Spirit is something that happens within us, but it's also something that comes upon us. The works of the Holy Spirit, that baptism at regeneration, gets us right. The, the baptism the aspect, again, it's like two sides of the same coin. That coming, that Spirit coming on you, often with the laying on of hands, right, makes you an effective witness. That you use the gifts of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders and power. I'm talking about healings. I'm talking about tongues, interpretation, prophetic words, words of knowledge. When you can be able to speak to someone and you know something about that person, you say something, you might not be aware, you say something and they're, you're, they're like, how did you know that? That's the Spirit of God. That didn't come from, that didn't come from you. That came from the Spirit of God. That, that's a witness to that person, right? Or if they see somebody, an unbeliever, that like, they see somebody healed right before their eyes. It's a witness to them. Wow, God must be real. The cessationists believe, they say this, it's crazy to me, but they'll say this, they'll say, well, it, it, this, the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles because when the full word of God was given, we no longer needed it. What do you mean you no longer needed it, right? They had, come on, they didn't believe Jesus with the scriptures, they're not going to believe you now with the scriptures. They need to see a demonstration of the power, right? We still need the power of God. We need to come to Jesus. We need to be baptized into the family of God, receive the Holy Spirit, but we have got to pray and ask for a continuous outpouring of the Spirit onto us to be effective witnesses. It's all the baptism of the Spirit. So let's not worry about when do you get the baptism of the Spirit. It's all the, it, but, but there's multiple components to this, to the, what the bap, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is. We've gotta have the Holy Spirit coming on us to be effective witnesses, because I'm sorry, you don't have enough. We, you can try to relate to people only on a soulish nature, right? And, and, and speak to their intellect. And for a few, they might 
be swayed a bit by that, but eventually there has to be a sign. There has to be something that they see. The Holy Spirit has got it. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. We need that. We need that. And I'm asking God for that. I'm praying for that for more in the church. I'm praying for more healings. Not just because, you know, that we can make a name for ourselves, but we can make a name for Him. That's what it's about. The people followed after Philip. Why? Because they saw the the signs and the wonders, right? And the first thing, when, when Paul prayed for these people, laid his hands on it, when they, after he baptized them, then he, to receive the Holy Spirit, there was an immediate sign and a wonder. Mm-hmm. Tongues and prophecy, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm gonna like really rub the charismatics the wrong way. If I hear the term, do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? I'm sorry, it's not in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, is a sign. It's not the sign, okay? It's not the sign. You can go through and you can never speak in tongues, but move in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've seen many people prophesy and have words of knowledge over people that do not speak in tongues. And the same people that preach that, and they preach all about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, read the bottom of the chapter. When Paul asked, does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody prophesy? The answer to that is no, right? But he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And he goes on. I won't get into all of that. We must desire the things of God. I don't care if you speak in tongues or not, but I want you to move in the power of God. I want you to be an effective witness. So that means you have to have some sort of spiritual gift operating within your life. And if that's how the Holy Spirit decides decides, it's his decision, not yours, decides to manifest himself and his power in you so that you can be an effective witness to draw people to Jesus, not to yourself. Like That's what Simon wanted. He wanted the power so he could draw attention to himself, and Peter completely rebuked him for it. In the Greek phrase that is used there, it literally says, it, it says to hell with, it's actually, it can be interpreted, to hell with you and in your money because he tried to pay him. He goes to hell with you with your, and your money is what actually what he meant. He, was, he furiously rebuked him about that. You cannot buy the things of God. They're freely given, right? And so anyway, these, these are the things we, we must desire some sort of gift to move within us. It doesn't matter what it is, but for the purposes, for the purposes, for the purposes of bringing people to Jesus. Everything the Holy Spirit does, everything he does is with the purpose of glorifying Jesus. He doesn't even glorify himself. And he's one of the Trinity. He's a third part of the Trinity. He doesn't glorify himself. He always glorifies Christ. He always draws us to Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are to glorify Jesus, to bring people to Jesus, not to you. It's not about you. And it's not. And if he moves with you in a power and you perform a spiritual gift, it doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't. It's not a sign of your spiritual maturity. It's simply that you're an effective witness, that the Holy Spirit is moving through you for an effective witness. I've seen people move as an effective witness and their lives were a wreck. They had so much they, had, they hadn't actually submitted to Jesus yet. I've seen some people that were, they're just struggling in their relationship with Jesus, but they're leading people to Christ in powerful ways. They're an effective witness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with that side of it, with the spiritual gifts, is not where the maturity comes from. It can help, but it's not where the maturity... Where does the maturity come from? The first part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God working within you as a temple and refining you and regenerating you and getting your mind conformed on Him and not on the things of this world, right? And your body and subjection, all that kind of stuff. That work of the baptism of the Spirit is for you. That's the one that brings maturity. That's where the fruit of the Spirit will come from, not from all these external things. Man, I want to see people healed. But again, only because I want them I want people to see Jesus. I want people to come to Jesus. Everything that we do, all of our motivation should always be around bringing Jesus glory and bringing him more reward for his sacrifice. That has got to be our motivation. If it's anything but that, we're out of line. We're out of line and we have to, re- we have to repent. 
So let's not worry about the baptism of the Holy Spirit being, is it, is it happening to, da, 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 right? It's two sides of the same coin. We need more of the power of Jesus. There is one baptism, one baptism in the Spirit. How much of that baptism are we going to desire? It's what, what, what we need to ask ourselves and for what purposes. So Lord, I want to thank you for your spirit. Lord, I thank you, God, for Holy Spirit working within us. Father, thank you for sending the spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your spirit that lives within us and comes upon us and transforms us and makes us an instrument for your glory and for your kingdom. Help us to learn, Lord, more of how you work within your spirit. Make us more aware of your spirit, how you want to come upon us. Help us, Lord, to be a vessel that is continuously inviting the spirit of God to come upon us. Not just living within us, and that is a fantastic thing, but come upon us as well. Change us on the inside and help us to be, empower us to be an effective witness on the outside. I pray, Father, that you move mightily within us, Lord. Change us, change us, change us into your glory and your likeness. Help us to lose our reputation in you. Help us to lose ourselves in you that we resemble less of us and more of you. Yes. I thank you, Lord. Use this church, Lord, to be effective witnesses. Yes. We're not one. Lord, I just look for a day. I look for a day. That the vast majority, if not all, if everybody that is a part of way life moves in the power of the Holy Spirit in one form or another, that it's that important, that is that much of our DNA, Lord, that you would be glorified and that we would win many souls into your kingdom to receive more reward for your sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, and we bless you. In your precious name, amen.